1: Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End. Yeah, it's a podcast all about a life following Watford football club brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John. It is Sunday morning, the morning after Watford 5, Everton 2. A wonderful day out at Goodison Park. I am joined on this incredibly sunny October morning, or at least it looks sunnier from where I'm sat, uh, by Mike.
2: Good oh, morning. It was a 17-hour day yesterday. It feels like I've just come out of hibernation
3: after a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful sleep. And Colin? Oh, I'm feeling a little bit rough, John. I have to, I went to the pub <laughs> last night and uh, I wore my Watford... I dug my... I didn't go to the game yesterday, so I dug my Watford scarf out of a, of a box at about 9 o'clock. I thought, I'm going to go to the pub. My daughter, Florence, works in my local at the moment, having left school and, you know, just embarking on adult life. I walked into the pub with my scarf on and there was there was this bloke he was so drunk he was with a group of his mates and suddenly I heard the uh, the familiar roar of you want? and so I turned around he went you what for fair mate and I was like yeah and he went oh yeah get in mate Claudio yeah like this and all his all his friends who are not as drunk as him were like yeah all right you got a wind yeah don't you get so excited <laughs> so, so uh, that was so I stayed there until it closed at 12 so I'm feeling a little bit um what's the what's the what's the, thing, the phrase politicians use tired and emotional That's
1: feeling. <laughs> quite right too Col quite right too it was a mike a, a remarkable performance in in many ways and we'll talk about the remarkableness uh, as we go through this podcast the most remarkable thing is how much this team has turned around in seven days from letting in five goals to scoring five goals i cannot think I can think of a great performance where we've scored lots and lots of goals. I can't think in the history of Watford, well, my 30-odd years of doing it, supporting it, when have we turned a team around that much, that quickly? From, from your point of view, Mike, you were there with Arlo and with, with Florence. Sum that performance up. Absolutely monumental. It was, it was extraordinary. That's the first time in Premier
2: League history that a team has been trailing after 78 minutes, has won a game by three goals. It's the first time in history that Watford have ever won any game uh, at Goodison Park and coming off the back of a well-documented poor run of form to be able to dig deep into the reserves and deliver such an extraordinary turnaround tells us a lot. And there were a few tongue-in-cheek comments on Twitter about me, Mike. We can see what you've got to say about this one <laughs> then, then, Mike.
1: There and,
2: you know, I stand by what I said by those by those um, the poor performances. But then, when they go and do that, you say, "Fabulous!" You proved me wrong on this occasion, um, and it was a, it was just a wonderful, wonderful performance. They they had to work for it. Everton were there for the taking, and that was the slight frustration when certainly when the second goal went in and when the first goal went in, it's like, oh, "Crikey, here we go again!" But that just added to the the adversity. Really, they conceded goals at, at what felt like key times. And it felt at times during the match like a game that they could get something out of was slipping away, and it felt like it potentially could have been a a missed opportunity.
1: I felt like those those moments. My I felt those moments were like. All this hard work had been done during the week. They'd started to go into Ranieri's mindset. And the minute the first goal goes in, it's like, has that all been erased? And it wasn't all erased because they they kept their composure and they kept going in the first half. And like you say, it it felt like it was slipping away. And I don't think say the game was slipping away. I was more worried about it was the mentality I was worried about slipping away. And you did feel, and it feels worse having travelled that that far to go ahead, <laughs> by go
2: behind after a couple of minutes, and then oh, here we go again. But I think the fact that they reacted to those situations with with such a an incredible statement is is fabulous, and that that's all the credit in the world has to go to everyone that played a part in that in that game: the players, the subs, the head coach. They got everything right. They reacted to to those couple of points of adversity, to that, that mental, psychological problem of thinking, right, we're, we're losing this game that we should be getting something out of. They bounced back, they dug in, and they performed absolutely extraordinarily to deliver an extraordinary result and an, an extraordinary day. And I couldn't be happy. I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more, more pleased. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
1: Colin, Claudio's bounce was a week late. In many ways, um, what is it that he's, you can see him. he's done to what is basically the same players, but he got them singing so brilliantly together?
3: If I can just bring an analogy in from the work that I do, if you work in the theatre, you have a rehearsal period, it lasts sort of four or five weeks, and then you have a period where you're performing. I've been in situations where you feel like the play is good, all the actors are together, you've got a great director, director being the equivalent of a head coach. And when you go on stage in the evening to to perform the thing you've worked on for the last few weeks you have a sense of togetherness you feel confident as an individual you feel confident in your in the other cast members you feel confident in your director you think you've been well led and i've also been in the opposite <laughs> situation where it doesn't go well the director is not really giving you clear instructions you feel there's a there's a, something's not quite right and when you step on the stage in the evening to, to actually perform the play in the same way that players step onto a pitch to actually play the match you feel nervous, you don't feel confident, you're not entirely sure about what it is you're supposed to be doing. What Claudio has done in that in the week that has just gone is that he's made those players believe in the work that they've done Monday to Friday. That that the rehearsal period, if you like, and when they stepped onto the pitch Yesterday, they were the players that they should be rather than in previous weeks. And, I'm, you know, I'm not going to dig out Munoz. He's a very inexperienced young manager. But when they stepped on the pitch at Ellen Road, when they stepped on the pitch at Vicarage Road against Newcastle, they didn't have that sense that the rehearsal period hadn't gone well. But this week it had gone well. And that's, and that's what Claudio has brought, him and his staff have brought to those players. They looked like they had clear direction. They knew what their jobs were. They were fired up because... What's interesting is if you're confident in the preparation, courage that you have innately as, as a professional footballer can start to show you, the dynamism. Your legs, you feel lighter, you feel fitter. You're like, there's my mate there. He's doing what we worked on in training. I'm in the right position. I'm between the posts, uh, if you're talking about Josh King. I, even the back line, you know, they moved uh, more fluidly together. And it's just all the things that you need to win a football match. Can suddenly, can suddenly be available to you. But when you've had a bad week's preparation and you're not sure and you don't know and you feel nervous and self-conscious and, you're, and all the fear comes up, a good, you can say, why is that player not playing well? He's a really good player. What's wrong with him? And it's, it's all because of the preparation. And then a week later, because the preparation has been good, you go, oh, there he is. And they're play, they played with such courage yesterday. They were quicker, they were more focused they just they just looked like they'd grown a foot in
2: stature and it they were the miles and miles apart from those games that you you'd mentioned there Colin and the analogy is a good one they looked like they came out and courage is a really really good probably way of of describing it because they just looked at it and they haven't looked at it previously and I think that that's right I think that comes into having a week of good preparation, probably having a week of criticism stinging in their ears from from all corners they will have known that their performances up until this point haven't been good enough but perhaps more importantly than that and I think that the point is a good one they've got an experienced head coach in there who knows how he wants them to set up knows how to get the best out of good players because there are good players amongst this squad and they went out there yesterday and they battled and they harried and they got stuck in they were quick incisive focused even like when i mentioned earlier getting the negative bits out of the way earlier we were up against it when we conceded goals at bad times it didn't phase them and i think that feeds into everything colin has just said that they had a good week at work and they went in they stood on they got onto the stage um, for their matinee performance and, it, and, the, and they and they played a blinder the lot the lot of them they all they they all had things to do yesterday and, and there's been players that have been much maligned.
3: The two things that really impressed me was I know we 've already spoken about it, the reaction to going behind let 's not forget we went behind twice in that game, not just once, we went behind twice once after three minutes, which, as you say, John, can just tear up the week 's work in a, in a split second you know um And you think, oh, well, that's it. It's all nonsense. But they didn't do that. They stuck together. They got the equaliser quite quickly, which, of course, is important. But then to go behind uh, in the second half to an uh, an old boy, you know, in front of his new home crowd, kissing his badge, could really rip the heart out of you as a team. But it didn't. And not only did it not, it seemed to galvanise them. But what was interesting about the performance, I thought, particularly in the first half, and I was watching it um, on my laptop, and then I had the BT goals game, uh, goals show on. At half-time, there was a kind of little bit of a kind of weird atmosphere around our game because I think it was Antoine Ferdinand was, was watching our game specifically. And he was saying, you know, to be fair, Watford are the better side. They've been the better side yeah. in the first half. They they, they seem to be pressing. They they seem to have a kind of like an understanding with each other. He said he said Everton look a bit rocky here. They look a bit shaky, and the crowd uh, were were not happy. You could you could you could feel it through the laptop. The sort of tension in the Goodison crowd. You could feel that it was a bit creaky. So the Richarlison goal was a bit of a papering over the cracks. Like okay okay we're back we're back we've scored a goal we're probably going to beat Watford. But then they just literally. <laughs> Fell apart. So the thing I wanted to say about Ranieri, just to finish off my point about him, is that when they go into training tomorrow morning, they will look at him differently. So they've had a week with him where they're like, yeah, everything he's saying is making sense, but they've delivered this extraordinary performance, scored all these goals. When they come back to work on Monday and he stands up and says, well done, lads. Right, now we've got a week's work before we play Southampton. They will all be listening more intently to him. They will be paying attention to everything he says and his staff because they have he and his staff have turned them from donkeys into heroes because they must have all felt terrible after that liverpool game and yet somehow he's managed to give them back their dignity their their belief in themselves their belief in each other and when when they go into work on monday and they sit there in a team meeting they will be looking at him in a completely different way after that result than they did you know, when, they, when he first turned up. And I think that's a really positive thing going forward.
1: you both told a brilliant story there of, of a, a well-polished together team. But you don't win 5-2. You don't score five with a good team. <laughs> you win a game with a good team. It takes a special player to lift you up. Michael, we've seen some great centre-forwards play for Watford over the years. Joshua King, and remember, he's Joshua now, he's at Watford. He was Josh when he was at Bournemouth. Joshua King played just like all all his three goals were different. They showed a, a range of goals being scored by a centre forward, not like a, a centre forward who has to always run and use his speed to score goals. There was every moment, there was the goal poacher at the back post, there was the controlled moment under pressure, and then there was the, the final one of a brilliant drag back, you know, again under pressure. But his performance was was, I can't think, the last player to do a performance. Was it Igalo? Just phenomenal.
2: Yeah, I think I've been an advocate for I'm gonna proud I'm gonna claim it. I've said I've I've liked the look of Joshua King. <laughs> You've hinted all at it, Michael, at best. You think he, he, he said, oh, <laughs> no, it could be said. He can claim that. He can happen. claim that, John. He has Whoa. he stood in the cold and said Josh King looks like a player to me. I've heard him say it. <laughs> he looked he has looked like a number nine and yesterday he it, i i haven't got the superlatives to to explain to you what it was like to see that performance in uh, in person it was consummate it was complete it was brutal it was brilliant and it was just a wonderful wonderful thing to see a number 9 in a Watford jersey turning in that sort of performance where effectively from minute 1 to minute 95 or whatever it was He ground Everton into the dirt. He gave them no chance, no rest at any point in the game. He was harrying, he was working, um, he was everywhere. And even if he hadn't have scored his three goals, it still would have been a a quite extraordinary performance in terms of just the effort he put in and, and what he was able to do for the team and just lift them and give us just that extra dimension. Because yes, everyone else played their part, but the name of the game is scoring goals. And if it doesn't feel like you're going to do that, it can get very difficult very quickly for, for the rest of the team. You, lo- you start looking for different ways to, to unlock the defence, yada, yada, yada. If you've got a number nine who is able to do their job properly, um, then, it's, then it's a different ball game. And he just he wasn't just able to do it properly. He was able to do it exceptionally. And, and, and as you say, John, the, every time you look at the goals for a number nine, they just get better. And better, I, I lost count of the amount of time we annoyed everybody on the train yesterday watching them back, and we were either cooing with del- with cooing with with sort of joy, or just roaring with with delight at just watching them back. The touches, the finishing, the composure, and all that off the back of just a an absolutely all action display. Were, it was a complete performance from 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 Joshua King and. I'm running out of words, but to watch it live was was a, was a privilege. He he gave Everton
3: not a chance. He was quite simply brilliant. I think what's interesting about him, John, is that one we, people forget what an experienced Premier League player he is. All those seasons, five seasons at, at Bournemouth, but this is the, this is the thing that I think is interesting about a player like like Josh King. Firstly, I think he was an absolute bargain. Because of his experience and goals, and because he'd he'd gone up to Everton and it hadn't really worked out for him, uh, he was a bit under the radar, and they were like, "Oh, Watford have got Josh King. Why, you know, was he any good? You know, but but we know that from from the from past games when we played the Cherries. Sorry, Mrs. Parkin, to mention that. <laughs> uh, yeah, bring it in. Um, so. But what's happened with his career is that when he was at Bournemouth, there was Callum Wilson. Callum Wilson was the number one striker. He, he was kind of seen as, as, a, as a backup or a, a complementary striker. And then when he went to Everton, obviously there was Richarlison, there was uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He was, he was in a queue. Now he's at with us. He has that opportunity to be that number one striker, the, the yeah. go-to number nine, the person that takes that position on the pitch and says this is my turf I am the leader in this position at this club I am the number one choice and I think if he can really t- grasp that because he hasn't had that opportunity really we've been waiting for this haven't we Mike I mean we've been waiting to yeah. see him do this and yeah. yesterday he stayed between the posts because the goals weren't easy they weren't no, absolutely not good I, Lord, mean, Lord, no. first, I mean the the ball was driven at him across the pitch he caught it on his left foot and he knocked it in with his right foot. And he did it in a blink of an eye. And split yeah. second later, the defender was going to cover. And he, and he beat Pickford, who is, let's face it, the best goalkeeper in the country. Probably one of the top three goalkeepers in the country. He re- very rarely lets goals in because he's such a good goalkeeper. He made a brilliant save, by the way, to a Josh King, w- which would have been quite a, an, <laughs> one of the easier chances. He made a brilliant save. This time, the ball comes flying across. He grabs it. He drops it down. Bang! It's in. And before anyone's got a chance really to react. And so... There was just something about him, and it, and it had an effect, it had a ripple effect on the other players, the other attacking players. Be it Cucho, be it uh, Saar. You know, it's like. And then when Pedro came on and Dennis came on, they were at the party. It was like we've got a lad here. If we get it to him, he can he can make this goal for himself. It doesn't have to be put on a plate. And so many of the times we scored in the last, even the the last season in the Premier League, you felt like it had to be on a plate or it had to be a wonder goal. For us to score, and these were like proper number nine goals with proper technique. The last one with the drag back just befuddled the defender, and then he then he creates a tapping for himself. But to have the confidence and the not just the confidence, but the ability, the the touch, the the, the vision, the understanding of what it is to score goals in those tight situations, I thought. Wow. Oh, hello. Someone's arrived at our club. And I felt like that about a lot of players. I thought players who come to the club who are new to us and new to each other, it felt like they sort of landed yesterday. And I I mean Sissoko and other players like that. It felt like, ooh, we're actually a team suddenly. And so this result could have really big ramifications. Also, it, it could be a one-off and, and not to be negative, but I remember we beat Liverpool 3-0 and, and six days later we went to Palace and, and lost 1-0 and we were awful. So, you know, there's a lot... Colin, of, even I'm not going to
2: say that today. Not
3: today. Even I'm not going there, but someone's, got to, has, someone's got to, Someone's <laughs> well, got it to.
2: Ain't gonna it ain't going to be me. You know. <laughs> but what I would say is, Colin, I think you're absolutely right to reiterate the quality of King's three goals. His overall performance was was sensational, and obviously a striker's on there to score goals. I think there'll be a lot of criticism for Everton's defence, perhaps in the media outside uh, outside Watford, and, and and if you have a cursory glance at the, the goals, you might think Everton's defence was all sixes and sevens, which to a degree they were. But before we move on, I do think we have to reiterate just how good those those three goals were. The, the equaliser came from a set-piece, he was alive, he stayed onside and, and was able just. To, 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 to slot... The- <laughs> Yeah, just as good enough though, right? And it and it ended yeah, up in the absolutely. back of the net. One all, game on. He did what he had to do. He was alive. He was alert. Got it in. The second goal was was a real thing of beauty. The ball over the Pedro's controlled sort of scoop over his shoulder um, to to set Dennis away down the right. A lovely ball in from Dennis. There was still an awful lot of work for King to do. The way he cushioned it, that first touch, and then the finish. Ice running through his veins. Just absolutely brilliant. And then his his third Watford's Watford's fourth yeah Everton made a mess of it but he he got the ball quite close to to goal and he had to sort of do something to 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 line it up to make the chance as easy as it was he took his time showed composure uh, because at that stage three two with with minutes left on the exactly Exactly. anything can anything can happen they're going to Everton are going to kitchen sink it but he he was the the touch the composure uh, send the defenders to a different postcode back in the net before before you know what's going on and the game is safe the game is won different goals but the but the skill and the composure required to, to to deliver them and it was 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 a thing of beauty so that on top of his overall performance it was was just magic but those three goals were were three great great goals and I think it's worth as Watford supporters it's really worth saving them because Colin you're right it does feel like oh where where were the goals going to come from and now we have hope that we've got someone who can who can carve out a decent goal we've we've said it so often with players before if they can get going we might have a player here we don't get how they how they score their first goal whether it's off their backside it comes off their nose whatever well we didn't need to worry yesterday because he scored three absolute beauties he's off and running
1: the three young players we have, we, you know, we we talk about them and love to, to see what they can do. And it was Sar, Pedro and Cucho.
3: And Ngakia, I would say.
1: Oh, Ngakia, I suppose. But particularly those front three, sort of... Sar didn't have a very good game and he was taken off. And you could say that the game lifted when he <laughs> was taken off. That's a good thing for me because hopefully it's a bit of a wake-up for him. But actually it showed that... Uh, great play wasn't as dependent on him we weren't dependent on on him
2: i know we've spoken about claudio ranieri and his impact on the on the side that double sub sar off dennis on Tufan off and pedro on was a was a b- incredibly brave substitution because substituting, substituting ismail assad doesn't happen very often and it, that was that sub was ready to go before they scored. So he was already planning it. He was already looking forward and and looking to to change the game. And I thought that that was an incredibly bold substitution. You look at the game now, an absolute tactical masterstroke, brave, brilliant,
3: and it and it came off. It worked a treat. I think what's interesting is that if you've got a young star, and let's face it, it's Assar's life. Any young Premier League footballer, it's not, it's not. Straightforward. You're young. You're inexperienced. There's a lot of talk around you, and particularly Saar. There's still every day. There's oh, is he going to Liverpool in January? Will Watford be able to hold on to him? Is he going to go to a, you know go and play in the Champions League final in May because he's gone to Liverpool and he's been brilliant? But the, the kind of pressure that puts on a young player, I think, is uh, is is hard. I, I'm not going to say that a life of a young Premier League footballer is hard because obviously in many millions of ways it's not, and they're doing the thing they love most and things. But but nevertheless. As you arrive in the Premier League and people start talking about you and then they talk about where you're going to go next. Uh, and I don't have a problem with that, but I just think that's tough on a young player. He made some, he made a really good decision to stay with us, I think, in, the, in, a, in a kind of Barnes-like way, um, who, uh, let's not forget, was with us for six seasons before he went to Liverpool. He's decided to stay and play in the Championship. He decided to stay and play in the Premier League with us. So we have to give him and his team, the people around him, his family, his agent, so on. We have to give them a lot of credit for that. But what was happening was that everything was everyone. When you went to see Watford, everyone just looked at Sa. That was it. <laughs> and actually, I think that can be quite detrimental to a, a lad's confidence. So that, although he'll be disappointed he got taken off. You're right, it will be a wake-up call, but it's good for the club to not have just the one player that everyone's staring at all the time and not looking at the other players. It's good for him, and I think this will really help him out. I agree with Mike. Going from a 4-5-1, if you like, or a 4-3-3, three, three, and saying, oh, go on, lads, <laughs> turning it into a 4-2-4, four, four, it's quite an extraordinary and brave thing to do, to bring on two more forward players. But, my gosh, I mean, Jao Pedro is, is really could develop into a, you know a really good player I, from, I said to you earlier John I feel like Pedro has got the things that Saar hasn't got Saar's got a lot of things in his game that Pedro doesn't have but Pedro has got he never takes a backward step he never shrugs his shoulders when he loses the ball he's, he's, he's physically present and, and the big thing about Pedro is he plays with his head on a swivel it's like he knows you can tell he's always looking over his shoulder where is everyone look, so when he got the ball in that very he got a very difficult pass to him which was kind of chest high most young players would just knock it down with their chest and knock it back we see it we see it, it drives me mad you you're in the opponent's half you get the ball with your with your back to the goal and you see them you go oh i can't think of what to do now i'm just going to knock it back to my center back mostly that's what young players do because they don't want to make a mistake and in that instance pedro was like I know that Dennis is a bit over my... All I've got to do is flick it over this guy's shoulder and we're in. And he did it. And he did it perfectly as well. So I love that. But I think the key thing, going back to Ranieri just very briefly, when you've got young players that you're relying on, let's face it, uh, particularly in attacking area, although I do think I I would include Ngakia in this as well because he is a young player, Um, what you need as young players is you need real leadership to get the best out of you, to, to, to get the best out of yourself. We don't have a player on the pitch at the moment, actually, most football teams don't these days. We don't really make players like that anymore. Those kind of generals on the pitch. Um, but what you need, there needs to be leadership somewhere. And it looks to me as if one of the things that Ranieri's been able to bring, particularly to the youngsters, being able to reassure the more experienced players, like you're in safe hands now, don't worry, you're not going to look silly. But with the young players, I think he's brought that leadership, that arm around the shoulder, that I want you to do this. Don't worry about anything else. Take all that noise out of your head. Do this for me. And and we saw it with Kucho. I thought Kucho had a much better overall performance than he has had in the little cameos we've seen. He's also strong, powerful, wants the ball, doesn't take any nonsense from anybody. You know, and, and to see these these three, four young players starting to rise, their levels starting to rise in this game. And I know it's only only one game, but I just thought that was exciting.
2: Kucho deserves a lot of credit. And I think if we're talking about the Ranieri effect, apart from perhaps um, Joshua King, I thought the one man... Who it was really evident in was was Kucho Hernandez he looked you know I was getting to the stage I was like, oh, I'm not really sure what he is what he brings brings to the side but yesterday he was he was dynamic he used his strength as you say Carly's got that you know that big backside that he just gets there first and there's a couple of times when the ball was bouncing around in in midfield whether it's a misplaced pass or a heavy first touch or a or it broken loose from a tackle and previously, we would have seen Watford players second to those balls and, and the, the the opposition's away and, and attacking. There wasn't a bit of that yesterday. Sissoko was tough in the tackle, but Kucho was there as well, going deep, busting a gut to wing the ball, sticking his body in the way, making sure that he got there first, getting his body in between the, the opposition player and the ball and then doing something with it. Um, and I just thought the confidence that he seemed to have yesterday was... It was like nothing we'd seen before from him, really, apart from that flash in the in the Villa game. And you could see he was trying to shape himself to do similar things yesterday to get that ball, so he could to could have have that shot. But just being able to see that, just just being able to see that he's got the confidence and the understanding from other players to try and get him into those situations, I thought he was he was great yesterday. He was it was really pleasing to see him re-energized. And I think just a, just another point on on Saar, I think we're we we tend to be sort of a little bit sort of oh he didn't have a great game yesterday or because we're so excited about him and we know what he can we, can we can do for us and i think there was a a moment yesterday where i was incredibly frustrated where we broke and we had two on one and joshua king had made a superb run and, and sar just had to slip him in and instead he went for a, a difficult shot from distance and i felt you you need to be better than that if you're, going to be, if you're going to get that move and you need to make better decisions. However, what we know about Ismail Assar is, I think, that he's focused, he's determined and I think he knows what he needs to do to get where he needs to be. And I think perhaps, as we've all said, that substitution, it worked for Watford brilliantly yesterday, a brilliant move from Ranieri. But how often has Ismail Assar been substituted for Watford? I don't know if he has. So for it to happen is is an interesting thing, and I don't think he'll take it <clears throat> I don't think he'll take it to heart. There's a lot of talk about or oh, when he walks down the tunnel, he looks a bit dour and upset that's just his that's just how he is he's just that's how he holds himself. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think he's sulking or or in a mood I think what he'll he will want to do is he'll take himself away and look right how can I learn how can I improve on my game? how can I improve my decision making to make sure that i get where i want to be in the game and I, I have confidence he'll he'll do that and again it comes back to perhaps the experience and the wisdom of claudio ranieri of dealing with younger players uh, and and older players and just different situations that, that will help and because we're going to need the best from all these guys colin alluded to it earlier we can't afford for yesterday to be a one-off we have to build on it and we have to make sure that our players play as close to their potential as possible week in week out if we're going to stay in the in the division and it and it felt like a lot of them took a step up yesterday but yeah I, I think a special mention for Kucho who I think really really did look great yesterday and you know Sar plays his part he he asks questions of the defence even if he's not on the ball they know what they have to worry about um, so let's not be I know we're not being down on him but I think he's He's some player and I, I I'm impressed with his character, and I think we'll see him get better and better as the as the season goes on. so just plenty to be excited about it was yeah, I'm going to say it again it was it was a privilege to be there and just a joy to see this Watford team turn in what frankly was an unexpected um, result, unexpected performance, perhaps a a, a, a necessary result but the, but the performance was just was just magic there's no, there's no two ways about it.
0: Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirectTV. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
1: From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. So this podcast, From the Rookery End, you know, we have a long been doing it for these days. You know, it's, it's about us. It's about us sitting and chatting and sharing our lives as Watford fans and we're basically a bunch of blokes who became Watford fans or cemented ourselves as Watford fans during the first Graham Taylor era. We will never be able to get all the views of every Watford fan going but hopefully we do a good job covering most of the bases but we want to sort of try and make sure that we are giving uh, a voice uh, and start to understand how other for fans feel and approach football and uh, one of the particular ones is it is women we have had as many times hosting the podcast Kelly Sommers, the uh, internationally recognizable television star that you might have seen uh, <laughs> if you're an international Hornet fan uh, on the uh, Premier League uh, television uh, output but also of course she did a lot of stuff with the BBC uh, over the summer and in fact hosted Football Focus a few weeks ago which is just so cool. Uh, to be able to say that you've done that and also Kate Lewis who we've had on the podcast many times uh, who set up recently the Women of Watford and we decided to say look rather than us talking to them and trying to understand it we gave them the chance to to have a chat between the two of them to find out what it is like and to share their stories of being a woman of Watford
4: Kate we're two girls from Watford who have got Watford season tickets we've grown up supporting Watford our weekends are defined by how that Blooming team in yellow, red and black do. But how did you end up being a Watford fan? How were you first introduced to Vicarage Road? So we started going, and by we
5: I mean... My family, mum, dad, my brother and myself, back in 1999, I think it was, when Watford were in the premiership, as it was back then, as a birthday present to my brother, actually, uh, whose idol was Alan Shearer. My family were kind of hooked from that point. We went to see a few more games that season and then became members and then subsequent season ticket holders. The way the story goes, I think if you're my mum, my dad or my brother, was they were hooked and they were really passionate and they were really, really excited. For me, I was nine years old and not all that excited about it, but I was also nine. And so the conversation of me just going straight home after dancing on a Saturday morning wasn't really one to be had. (laughs) (laughs) The stereotypical ungrateful, especially teenager, being dragged along to games, not really appreciating actually how much money her parents were spending on her for one thing. At the university 10 years later that I realised actually Vicarage Road had become had become my home when I wasn't going to games every weekend because I could no longer afford it.
4: And yeah, from that <laughs> point onwards I've just been I've just been hooked. It's interesting because you actually started going in the same year as me. Incidentally my first game was the playoff final um against ah. Bolton and my mum still talks about it now and says to me If we hadn't won that game I wonder if I'd have been as hooked But I was immediately hooked By the colour The excitement Mm. And everything Everything about it I wasn't allowed a season ticket In that premiership season But when my granddad passed away I got the ticket For me I have the same sense of association With Vicarage Road And when I went to uni as well That was when I really realised How much I missed it Mm. That was home to me I grew up in a family Where I don't see my dad And I always went with my mum And that to me is like My spiritual home I still get the same feeling Even though the stadium Looks much grander it's quite remarkable actually because my season tickets are in what was the lower rouse now the lower graham taylor stand so our journeys i think have been quite similar and um, the difference being you went with your whole family i went with my mum how do you yeah. view for me going to football has always been a thing since i was eight years old i when i went to that first game i went with my mum it was never not a thing my mum had gone my nan had gone it's kind of gone through the the, the family. But as I said, I don't see my dad. It's never been weird for me. I've always had that female role model. And perhaps that's why Mm. I've ended up doing the job that I now do working in football as well. Maybe I wouldn't have known that was a pathway without my mum. But how have you felt as a woman going to football, particularly at Watford? Because I wonder if I had supported a different team, maybe I wouldn't feel as welcome at football the way I've always felt going to Watford. It's certainly changed over the years because I do remember going in
5: those first... For five, maybe 10 years, when I wasn't all that keen. And perhaps part of that reason was because I didn't really see a space for myself there. It was a very male oriented environment, partly because we were going, you know, I was going as a family of four and half of that 50 percent are male my dad and my brother maybe subconsciously I'm thinking well we're going because of the boys but just things like there were fewer female toilets
4: that used to be my mum's biggest (sighs) bugbear my mum wrote to the quality of the toilets in the lower rouse as it was then as well she used to say they wouldn't do this for the men
5: (laughs) but it was it's exactly that and it seems like a really little thing but but it's not it's things like the stadium announcer was male and there were men on the pitch Mm. and the stands were predominantly male and so looking around looking on the pitch hearing what I was hearing it wasn't really a space for me I think something actually the club has done and it, maybe it's in response to your mum's email
4: <laughs> we'll
5: let her think that and <laughs> <laughs> um, really created a space for women and um, there was the uh, hugely successful on the ball campaign which was a sort of nationwide thing about providing free sanitary items for mm. women in the women's toilets, uh, which is something that the club now do. The on-the-board campaign has now stopped, actually, because it was so successful and picked up by so many clubs. There isn't a need for it anymore, which is brilliant. And something I think is equally brilliant is that we have the wonderful Emma Saunders as our stadium announcer, mm. so that if you are that nine-year-old girl that you and I both were walking into a stadium, the first thing you hear is a female voice. And I don't think that should be underestimated because... It's telling that nine-year-old girl that this is a place for you too. You might not look on the pitch and relate to the 22 men running around in shorts because you don't see yourself there, but you can hear yourself. Representation matters. You can't be what you can't see. And so telling young girls and women that this is their club too uh,
4: is really important and does have an impact and will leave a legacy yeah, I totally agree. That's kind of something I feel is a bit of a responsibility in my job now as well. There's mm. so many more women. And I looked up to people like Jackie Oatley, Gabby Logan, yeah. so many women, Kelly Cates, people like that. Um, when I was growing up, more and more of them appearing on TV. And that's when I realised, oh, maybe I could do this. That said, when I first started out in the industry about eight years ago, there wasn't many many women in press boxes. And still, there's mm. there's not enough. We know it's not quite even. And there's no reason why press boxes shouldn't be 50-50, there's like literally no reason because, <laughs> the, the, do you know what I mean? I'm, the more I think, I, I actually sometimes sit there and think, men and women can write the same. There is nothing, we're yeah. seeing the same game, we're watching the same game. There is no Tasty. reason that a woman or a man can't report on this game in the same way. But we are getting there on that front. And I think media is one of the places where they've made huge, huge strides, but I completely agree. I've I've worked with Emma and I know Emma through our work. Mm. and some with her during the Euros. And we talked a lot about Watford and growing up being Watford fans. And I think yeah, I still, obviously I'm biased, but I still do believe that if I didn't support Watford and with the community values, maybe I wouldn't have had this affinity to football that I've always had. I think Watford's community values instill that in you and have always made everyone feel welcome I can't speak on behalf of everyone but that's kind of how I feel let's talk a little bit about the wonderful role that you now do at the club because I've spoken to you it's mad isn't it I've never actually properly met you but the community of social media and being what for fans means that we have spoken and you contacted me a little while ago and you said you kind of wanted you felt passionate about wanting women to feel part of the football club to feel safe at football and as a result something really brilliant has been born hasn't it It has,
5: yes. So we now have a female supporters group. Um, We're known uh, colloquially as WOW, uh, but officially we are Women of Watford FC. And we're basically just a supporters group for women who love
4: Watford and then people who consider themselves allies. Firstly, I just want to talk about allies because I've programmed today where we've been talking about uh, black history month and no Mm. room for racism the campaign in the Premier League and I was talking to Ian Wright about allies and he was telling us the importance of being an ally I think sometimes people underestimate that word so for every male listening to this podcast as well as to every female an ally is just someone that doesn't have to be a female doesn't have to have walked in our shoes or whoever's shoes it's someone that wants to to be there. And I consider people like Mike, John, and I'm not just saying this because this is their podcast, I consider them <laughs> as allies. They've been there for me throughout my career. I've always, I talk to Mike about football almost as much as I talk to my mum about it now, yeah. um, because, and they're always very, very supportive. The fact that they have us talking about this now says it. Mm. Being an ally, when you think, well, this doesn't really affect me. I think, look a bit closer, Even if it doesn't affect you and you think you can't help, being an ally is such a big thing. Just speaking to a woman, checking she's all right, just being supportive, listening. I think with some of the dreadful things that have happened in society Mm. in recent weeks, recent years, has really highlighted the importance and has maybe made people think, and other men I know think, what can I do to make a difference? Tell me a little bit about what the club have done and how the club wanted to help, because the club could have easily just done something, kind of paid lip service to it, but they've really taken on board what you've said. Tell us how this whole group has come about and how responsive the club have been.
5: This idea, I suppose, was initially planted uh way way back in march this year i was on hive live with two other female fans for uh, international women's day and Mm. we were talking about what it's like to be a female fan and it was that weird line where you want to keep something positive because progress has been made but i was very aware that that there is still progress that needs to be made that there are still things to do uh, and one of the questions I was asked was how do you feel as a female fan going to away games and in all honesty I don't feel safe I won't go to an away game by myself it really is as simple I as that I did it
4: I did it pre-covid when oh, we were in well the done. premier league and I went I've, I've had to do it quite a few times because it's the only way and it's often night games after work when I mm. go um and I don't think I would do it again at <laughs> I say I wouldn't do it again because I'm very like, I won't be defeated. I go to football all the time on my own <laughs> yeah. through work. But when I go through work, I get a car parking space nearby. Mm-hmm. I get a lounge I can go and wait in after. So I probably will do it again because I'm defiant. But yeah. it's not an enjoyable experience outside. Well, it's debatable whether the 90 minutes, depending on how Watford it is, whether that's enjoyable. <laughs> but either side of it is never enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think on the whole half the fear it's the am I going to get back to my car okay am I mm. going to get it not even getting there safely the thing I find in the last game I won't say which club it was it was when we were in the Premier League I went to a game and we'd lost and it was horrible the horrible way we'd lost and I had to walk quite a distance back to my car and then I hid my shirt and I put my hood hood over me to try and hide that I was a girl and just wanted yeah. to get back and I was just all of the chance that you can imagine drunk blokes yeah. coming up to me and I was like this why is this allowed to happen? I'm quite outspoken. If someone says something to me, I will turn around and say, that's not right. But in that environment, when there's groups of 20, 30 fans coming up to you and you're in the minority, it's it's horrible and you can do nothing. No, you're not going to win. It's as simple as that. You
5: just are made to feel like an easy target. And there is something in physically, I'm fairly slender and I'm not particularly short, but I'm not tall either. And so you just know that if something were to happen, you're not, going to be able you're not physically strong enough to fight that off and mm. um, so yeah so that got me thinking and I don't speak for all women here at all I, I know there are a number of women who do go to away games by themselves and I take my hats my hat off mm. to them so that was just thinking back to March a fairly heavy week to be a woman for one that was sandwiched by International Women's Day and Mother's Day Um yeah. we had a really, really heavy week, uh, partly because of the Sarah Everard uh, disappearance and then what turned out to be her murder, which was really hard. And we, I say we, women, were generally sharing our stories online. And that was really important, but again, a really difficult read because every single woman had something
4: to say. That was what it was, it was relatable. When people, I, I saw a couple of people on social media saying, why is it hard? Why are you all suffering? As mm. if there's an accusation of being dramatic about it. Yeah. <laughs> a, when you haven't walked in those shoes, you don't understand. That's what I've realised. Unless you've walked in yeah. the shoes, please, please don't try and pretend you pretend you... Yeah, that week was really tough, wasn't it? And I saw a lot of people on social media suggesting there was an element of being dramatic or just wanting to jump on it. I, I don't know why anyone would. What was scary about that is every single woman I spoke to in person on social media, we could all relate. We'd all been involved in a part of that, obviously, not the horrific ending that poor Sarah had mm. but we'd all had the fear of walking home we'd all walked we'd all thought we weren't going to make it home everyone and that is a chilling feeling that is a horrible feeling we've all got a right to make it home and it's when you realize that could have that could have been any of us and it just it just brought it very very close to home didn't it yeah and it really did and actually just as a side
5: note to that what frustrates me about people challenging it is that society has somehow turned women's anger into overreacting and hysteria. You never hear a man being accused of being hysterical, but if women get angry,
4: we're hysterical. It's a stereotype, sort of, isn't it? It really is. It's a um, female stereotype. A man, If a man gets angry, they're just showing passion or enthusiasm for their subject. If a woman gets angry, they're just over the top, dramatic, irrational. But yeah, there's there's stereotypes. And I'm not saying everyone uses that of women and men. I know not every man says that about women, but that's the Mm. general thing. And social media brings out the worst in people. And I I saw that a lot that week.
5: Yeah, and it it really does. Um, And yes, like you say, it's not every man. Um, But one of the things that the Sarah Everard case really brought home was it's we don't know which one's um, and that is why actually we go back to allies and the importance of an ally uh, so that we know that there are people mm. and there are men on our side. I guess the fire was burning deep, deep down inside me of just how can we change this? Is there something we can do? Especially following on from the fact that the club wanted to have this conversation. The club asked me that question, and so surely they're going to be interested in continuing this conversation. Um, and so I got back in touch with Dave Messenger, the, at the time, supporter liaison officer. Um, and I just have to absolutely shout out this man and just uh, put him on a pedestal for a moment, I suppose, yeah, because he's a legend. he is a legend and he just gets it. Yeah, again, you're talking about allies. He is one. He won't pretend to know, every, know everything, but he will listen and he will advise with his with the world of his expertise especially within football so what we decided to do with all these sort of ideas that were coming forward because i've fast-tracked a little bit but i did put out a twitter thread which was featured on this podcast um which did receive a lot of responses and actually a lot of responses from men of saying how can we help is there maybe a walking buddies scheme that we could do Mm. could we carpool together all these kinds of ideas and so again took those ideas put them to Dave and we decided the place we would start would be a supporters group for women born out of the frustration of women's safety but actually also looking to just create a community of women who love
4: Watford so what are the next steps how can women who are listening to this perhaps if they want to get involved if everything that we're saying which ultimately I'm sure it will if it resonates with a woman listening to this or even maybe even a man who wants to be an ally who wants to help us what would you suggest for them to do? How can they help? For me,
5: it comes down to education. So if you are a man and you're listening to this and you want to be an ally, go out and educate yourself, chat to women, hear about their experiences. It probably won't be a very nice conversation to hear, but educate yourself and then talk about that amongst your boys because part of the issue is that I'll give an example. So I was at, it was a game at Wembley um, and I was in shorts. This is a couple of years back, but I was in shorts and looking to find the toilet by myself. And a group of men felt the need to comment quite loudly on the fact that I was wearing shorts and my legs. And one of the guys in the group turned to me and said, sorry about them, just ignore them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's like that guy there. He clearly recognises that the uh, the laddish behaviour that he has seen is a problem, is problematic. Um, but he's he's apologising on behalf of them when really what he needs to be doing is challenging his friends and saying, why do you think that's okay? This lady's on her own, uh, quite clearly a young woman. So do you not think that's intimidating? Like calling out your boys, which is a really, really hard thing to do mm. um, and quite scary, I imagine you know i if i need to challenge my girlfriends it's it is a hard thing to do but if it's the right thing to do if you want to consider yourself an ally then it kind of it's got to be done so education and then join wow we're open to all women and men alike we've had some uh, dads come up and say you know is this is this a place for me and I could I come along to games with WoW with my daughters? And of course you can, because like I said earlier, you can't be what you can't see. So if you've got daughters who are coming to the football and with a big group of women that's just another thing there, telling them that yes this is a place mm. for me and oh there are lots of women who love football yeah. and I've only seen my dad love football before but now <laughs> oh my gosh there's lots of ladies here and like this is really cool just
4: get to know what WOW's about, I suppose. So I guess if people want to get involved with WOW, the best way would be to contact you on social media, would that be correct? Or is there a club email address? What's what's the best way forward? Um, So we've got a Facebook group, um, which if you just
5: search women of Watford FC... Uh, on facebook will come up we're a private group so you do have to request to join and we're on twitter which is at wow watford fc uh, and then if you'd like to just know a little bit more and have a chat with us we've got an email address uh, because we do have a mailing list so we send out a newsletter once a month uh, which is women of watford fc which is all one word at gmail.com uh, always happy to chat always happy to introduce people to other members and the facebook group in particular is a really a really nice place to be it's people writing in there saying hi i'm off to this game by myself does anybody fancy going for a drink before the game and um, we have a social event coming up at the end of october and um, which we're organizing on there and just lots of really the community element that because i One thing I do appreciate is that actually women's safety isn't a burning passion uh, for everyone. Not everyone wants to do something about it. But for those people, there is the community element of things and it's... Mm. uh, That maybe they're more passionate about giving women more of a voice within the club and so you can find those like-minded people within the group and people sharing their stories so I would really recommend the Facebook group to people it's a really nice place to be
4: no it sounds brilliant and Kate is that little girl that went first through the turnstiles at Vicarage Road when I was eight years old feels a long time ago now what certainly (laughs) aged me during that time and now (laughs) the girl that watches it from a slightly different viewpoint a lot of the time but i still try and go back in my season ticket when i can the thought that this will encourage more little kate's little kelly's to come through Mm. because ultimately football is the same it's what i go back to with the press box we all see football we all see it slightly differently Some people get angry about football. Some people get emotional. We all watch it slightly differently, but ultimately all watch the same. And as Watford fans, we're all there cheering those 11 plus the substitutes on the pitch, week in, week out. And if it's another way that we can feel better and feel safe at football, we all deserve to feel safe and be able to go to football and enjoy it. Then this to me is a brilliant initiative Um, and something that I will definitely take up. I won't be going to any more, where possible, away games on my own and going through those walking through those horrible streets on my own and if if this can help one more girl not be able to do that then for me that is brilliant but as you said it's all about community which is such a big thing at Watford so Mm. well done I think it's a brilliant initiative and so thank you on behalf of all the women and the male allies as well for pushing this through um, and taking another step to ensure everyone can enjoy being a Watford fan even though you can 't affect what happens on the pitch <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> a Watford FC podcast brought to you by the athletic this is from the rookery end so Mike, that whole what our job is, and this isn't just for for women f- football fans this is, is is everybody to be that friend and to be that advocate for them
2: yeah and and I think that's that's the most important thing. I think to to take from that. There's a, a lot to unpack from from the conversation. I'm really grateful to uh, Kate and Kelly for being so open and, and honest about their feelings because that's not necessarily easy. They mentioned how the, the reaction from men can effectively be an overreaction, and and you get those people saying, "Well, it's not all men, is it? Don't tar us all with the same brush." And it's that must be so tiring um, when you're the ones experiencing these these issues and these problems to be told, "Oh, it's not all men." It, and it doesn't have to be so. It's brave to stick your head above the parapet and and be honest about what what life is actually actually like. So I'm, I'm grateful, and I, f- I feel educated um, every time I, I, I listen to people talk on the on the subject. And I, what I found perhaps most upsetting was Kate's sort of anecdote about when she was on her own at Wembley and got sort of accosted by by a group of blokes who were coming up with a load of load of nonsense and unpleasant towards her what the ultimate message was as as blokes we need to educate ourselves as to what life is like if you're if you're a a, a football match and how it can make you feel how how actions and activity can make you feel and so listen to what it's like listen to what life is actually life like as a woman going to a a football match understand it and then act accordingly because it's not difficult not to be unpleasant (laughs) or it shouldn't be because that's ultimately what you're doing a laddie culture over exuberance or having a few too many beers or the the the, the adrenaline pumping after after you've seen Watford win for, away at Everton for example does not excuse poor behavior and I think Kate's point listen to the experiences of the girls you know take time to speak to daughters wives partners friends mums grandmothers whoever the the women are in your life talk to them listen to them and understand what
1: life is actually like Colin you you, you yeah, your experience as a Watford fan you were, were brought to Watford by your mum and you now yeah. bring both your teenage daughters to yeah. games so th- this this is something that's very Clear for you? Yeah, it's
3: interesting. When I started going with my mum, I caught the very end of that kind of 1950s, 60s culture at football.
1: You remember rattles, basically, Colin.
3: I remember rattles <laughs> and rosettes. Um, I remember jumpers for goalposts. Marvellous game. Well done.
1: Um,
3: <laughs> I remember all that. But what I do remember is there were, there were women at Watford. And what, was, what would astonish people these days, even when we played Luton, um, the Watford Terrace was mixed. So you were standing next to little huddles of uh, of away fans and you were standing there because there wasn't a culture of violence at football in that in that period. Not not really. And so my mum felt very comfortable taking her six-year-old boy to a football match with uh, her friend across the road who was also bringing her son or coming on her own because her son wanted to go off because he was older than me and so on. So the, the women did, you know, there were, there were lots of those um, of, of, of sort of middle-aged women. You didn't see many girls. It was mostly the boys were being taken and they were taken by their mums or their dads and then lots of sort of young men. It was a male environment, but it wasn't as, it wasn't as threatening. The culture... Society wasn't as threatening as it has subsequently become. Then it, then it all went to pieces in the 70s and 80s where there was so much violence. Women just didn't go to football and they didn't take their daughters. They didn't really even take their young lads because it was so uh, feral. And now we're in a period of trying to bring back the idea that it's a safe place. You're going to watch our national game and it should be a safe place for everybody, whether it's Arlo, aged eight, or whether it's Mrs. So-and-so, who's at 88. It should be a safe place, a safe environment. It should be well stewarded. It should be well looked after. But it should be for everyone. I would like to sum it up with my experience
2: at, at Goodison Park yesterday. Flo, who is 12, came with me. Watching her watch what unfolded yesterday was genuinely magical the excitement before the game the trying to keep me positive the hope of uh, hoping that we could have made this massive long trip and see watford win and then <laughs> against all expectations for that actually to transpire <laughs> and her eyes got wider and wider as the day went on and her smile got bigger and bigger and she ran out of ways to describe what she was feeling it went from nerves to excitement and by then she'd just given up and she was saying, Dad, this is amazing. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. She loved the celebrations. She loved the atmosphere. She loved the result. She loved everything about it. And the thought that when she is perhaps 16, 17, 18, and then she will be having to make decisions like Kelly or Kate whether to go and have an experience like that because she's worried about what might happen is heartbreaking. The Mm, fact that she mm. would potentially be denied those moments that she um, enjoyed so clearly yesterday would be denied her because she'd be worried or scared or concerned, or whether I wouldn't want to let her go because of, 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 of everything that we've discussed. There is no way that anyone should be denied yesterday for any reason. No one at all, whatever, whatever walk of life, whatever um, sexual orientation, whatever their, their sex, whatever their background, no one should be denied the opportunity to experience what we saw at Goodison Park yesterday. And everyone has, an, has a responsibility to make sure that everyone can enjoy it. Slogans are great. I'm looking together at the, at the, at the Everton programme all together now. It says a football family for everyone. That's great and it's well-meaning. We're the ones that love the game we need to we need to show respect for it by showing respect for absolutely everyone and and considering who is going to the game and to allow people to to have what we've had over the years and what we had yesterday. It's a beautiful 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 thing let's make sure that everyone can enjoy it and that means everyone.
1: Thank you very much for listening From the Rooker End. It was a magical Saturday and a wonderful game and an amazing performance. Uh, But thank you so much to Kelly uh, and Kate uh, for grounding us maybe a little bit there uh, by just making sure that we understand more about how other football fans feel about going to to the game uh, and how everyone's experience is, is very different. But we have to be respectful of everybody. Thank you very much, Mike
2: not at all well done Watford please 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 continue <laughs> to make me look like an oaf for being stone negative I will happily take all the all the funny little comments oh hey I hope you're happy now Mike on Twitter oh, I bet you're glad you didn't get rid of your ticket loved all that continue to make me look daft for being a miserable old git. you hornets come on
3: lads what a day <laughs> thank you Colin Hope, hope. It's all about hope. I've got my hope back. I feel like I've got, like I'm looking forward to Saturday already, uh, where that hasn't always been the case in the last few weeks. So hope is is burning brightly uh, in this particular horn.
1: We'll be back uh, on Thursday with another podcast. with so Adam, remember, if you have listened to this podcast, if you've heard some adverts, you don't want to hear adverts, well, you can c- become a subscriber to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash uh, rookeryend, where I think the current deal is 33% off if you're a listener to this podcast. So you get to listen to the, uh, this podcast ad-free via the Athletic website or the Athletic app. Uh, so please get involved with that. I'll be back with Adam on Thursday for yet another podcast leading up to that home game against Southampton Come on you boys
0: The Athletic